0: Hi everyone, my name is Patrick Akil and for today's episode we cover tech startups, specifically those that operate in the software as a service space selling to other businesses. We go over when to stop building your product and actually start selling, the importance of sales and marketing there, how to scale your organization and even get funding and much more. Joining me today is Denise Edwards, who's the founder and CEO of SauceLaunch.io, where she helps organizations with specifically that and much more. I'll put all her socials in the description below. Check her out, and with that being said, enjoy the episode. Enjoy my personal story. I wasn't always like this. I was always the kid that didn't want to do presentations and didn't want to do anything. So, with the medium that a podcast is, I got better at kind of externalizing my internal thoughts yep. and communicating in that way. But for you. I think I mean you have it. I don't know what it is, but you definitely have it. Oh, have you, you. <laughs> have you kind of honed it and and practiced it on purpose, or was that always kind of in there?
1: Oh, that was never in there. I'm gonna <laughs> tell you, Patrick. Like I am, like I was, like you. I'm telling you honestly. Like if you would ask my parents, I yeah. was the shy girl. I wouldn't even talk to anybody. I think up to like seven, eight years old, I was super shy. I Wouldn't say anything. Yeah. Um, and I remember at school, like. People were very articulate and stuff. And I was just kind of like a shy girl, like analyzing a lot of stuff. Yeah. And I think, honestly, that changed when I, I think, turned 14. Then it became a little bit more social. Um, but I was never the person, like, really wanting to do presentations. <laughs> but um, this actually la- developed, like, later during my, like, master's degree when I was studying. Yeah. And we obviously had to do presentations. Like, my master's was a business in, in entrepreneurship. Yeah. And we had to do presentations like business plans and things like that. And I never wanted to do any presentations, but I knew that in the future, and it sounds super cliche. In the future <laughs> I did want to have like my own company, right? So yeah. if I would be shy, like what do I need to work on to really hone that skill in communication, uh, effective communication, storytelling. Um so at the at the end when I started doing that, I started kind of like going kind of more to kind of presentation skills classes. Yeah. And and I think because of my sales job, because I started during my master's degree uh, working in sales part-time, mm. I had to be more kind of like, um, uh, like extroverted because I'm like more of an introvert. Yeah. But because of being in sales, you know, you have to, you know, step to clients, explain things. And that's where it actually started, to be honest. So I think... I was twenty three twenty four where when I really started like honing in on going more into kind of like you know presenting myself and and reading a lot of books, I love reading books yeah um but also practicing it in real life well obviously in my in my sales career, obviously because you need to you know be extroverted at least you don't have to be extrovert to the sense like that
0: you like are extra,
1: yeah, like extra, extra. I yeah. think this is based on supposedly uh, scientific knowledge okay. that um, the 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 balance between introverted and extroverted; those types of salespeople are kind of like the ones that really like move the needle forward. Okay, so if you're too extroverted or too introverted, that doesn't really work, supposedly. Um, and I think I'm in the middle, let's call it like that. The sweet, so the, sweet spot. In the sweet spot. Well, that's <laughs> what I consider. Maybe it's not like that, right? Maybe yeah. I'm biased. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. So for me, it was like really a development within my sales career, but yeah. also developing myself, um, reading a lot of books, doing like courses and things like that. For me, that's super important because I definitely want to always be on my game, a game, if yeah. they, as they call it, um, so yeah, it's it's been just a journey, journey That's of awesome. self-discovering, self-development, um, practice, as we were talking about. Yeah, and uh, yeah, just you know, moving forward and always trying to do the best that you can.
0: I love that. Yeah. yeah. Well, one thing that stood out to me is you said you did a, a master's in entrepreneurship or yep. business in entrepreneurship. Yep. And you already very distinctly said I, I envision myself having my own company in a way. Yep. I did a minor entra- entrepreneurship. I, I also nice. said uh, I'm going to have my own company. But I haven't made that switch yet. I don't know when the right time is to switch. I don't think there's going to be a right time to switch. But I still like to envision that at some point I will have my own company in that way. But you, exactly as me said, I'm going to have my own company. And you do actually have your own company. But you started out in sales. Yeah. Walk me through kind of the way that uh, to the point where you actually said, okay, I'm going to start my own company now.
1: Yeah, that's a good uh, good, uh, question as well. So... I started in sales, like I said, during my master's degree, but that was just part time yeah. doing it. And then I went into the recruitment field, which is also sales obviously, because you have um, you need to recruit people mm-hmm. obviously for the jobs that you have and then you need to sell those jobs to them, yeah. basically. Right. So uh, started in recruitment, then went into um, consulting sales. And then mm. from consulting sales, I went into technology sales. So, so I worked for companies like Oracle. I worked for companies like LinkedIn and different parts of the world as well. So I used to, for example, live in Equatorial Guinea, which is in Africa, close to Cameroon, which was super cool. Super cool. A very, very, very cool experience. Uh, I used to work uh, for LinkedIn in Ireland, uh, yep. studied in Spain as well. So there's a little bit of an international type of thing. I'm I'm from Curacao as well. Very born and raised proud Caribbean girl. Awesome. Um, so yeah, it's 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 been a journey from going from let's say recruitment sales to consulting sales to technology sales, which is also consul- uh, consulting sales in a sense. And then from there, um, I saw kind of like where my forte is, or let's say where I like to. to basically push myself into with regards to having my own company because i didn't know beforehand but i started trying certain things like i did courses and then i tried to um yeah i guess start a company like at the um um i think before during my master's degree as well um but that didn't like super go super well because like obviously if you start a company with three other people then everybody has like their own type of like experiences and opinions so it's obviously was like uh better to just do it on your your own (laughs) but that's just my personal opinion yeah um so i actually started in 2018 but this was during my my um working at Oracle okay, and I started doing consulting for smaller startups. So yeah. obviously Oracle is a big technology company um, and they saw that there were like a lot of startups spe- specifically in the B2B space that really wanted to have like some consulting around, okay, how do you do sales and marketing and things like that, business development. And that was something that I was good at. Um, so we, I started then and then that transitioned into like what we have today, which is kind of SaaS launch, yeah, um, doing the marketing and sales, but now we're doing also the fundraising for the startups. Um, the transition from going to full time, let's say full time work, into like my own company, yeah, it just it just transpired that way because the last company that I uh, worked for was a small startup, okay, and I saw that a lot of the things that I was doing there that I could basically do on my own as well. So okay. in two thousand twenty, I Actually went full time into into the company, into obviously my own company. Um, it just transpired just naturally, to be honest. Like okay. I also in the in the beginning when I used to work um, at Oracle, I was also thinking like, hmm, should I stop now? Okay. Or should I just you know?
0: Because it was kind of a side hustle. It was side. Uh, it was along. a side hustle exactly.
1: Yeah. And twenty twenty was like the full t- the first full time like year. Yeah. Uh, starting the first full time year. Um. So it just transpired that way, to be honest. Like I, I, I just felt, and maybe it's kind of like an intuitive thing, um, maybe some people don't believe in intuition, but for me it was really important because I just felt like this is the time to really start. Time. And and that was during COVID, imagine that, <laughs> right? Like I had, um, I was at this networking event and there was this lady and she was asking me like, hey, listen, like, oh, um, you have your own company. Yeah. And then I explained to her, yeah, I started like full-time in 2020. And she was like, that was when COVID hit. Yeah. Wow. That's like, you know, it's like super awesome that you started because a lot of people don't want to start obviously during like a pandemic the pandemic or some type of economical.
0: Yeah, like a, an extra hurdle, lots of risk, insecurities. Exactly,
1: yeah. exactly. But for some reason, I just, you know, it just transpired that way and I just went into it. Um obviously, like you have your ups and downs and as in any company, but um if you have and this is what I believe in, and I think we we spoke about that. When you have a sales background and you know how to sell, I think that's one of the most important things mm. when you have your own business, because you have to sell yourself, you have to sell your services or products, whatever you have. Yeah. Um, and if you have that background and you've done that for, you know, other companies, then you can certainly do it for your own company. So I think that's one of the, the things that I guess helped me yeah. um, in, in doing that. and. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been super interesting to tell you the least. It's, it's very interesting. I've learned a lot. I learned a lot about myself. I can tell you that the entrepreneurship world, um, it expands you as a human being, as okay. in like you're definitely going to learn a lot more about yourself, a lot more about like maybe your fears or insecurities that you need to work on if you really want to move the needle forward. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just a self-development route if that makes any sense
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense i mean i like that it's it's gradual right it started out as kind of a side thing yeah and probably you gave it more and more attention as the years moved forward correct to a point where you were like okay i want to do this full-time right i want to be in this 100 percent and give it the attention that it deserves
1: exactly because
0: in my mind and also back in the day when i said that when i was still at university and i wanted my own company um i thought it had to be like a Bam, and then you have it, or, uh-huh. or you're just gonna drop everything and you're gonna start. But that's yeah. not realistic, right? That's how it's how it becomes very unsure of how your future is gonna look like and if you're actually gonna make it. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. Exactly. You can have that kind of gradual approach in there. Uh, and see if this is for you. Because I don't exactly. think it's for everyone as well.
1: It's not. To yeah. be honest, like even my partner was saying, like, ooh, now I see like what's the effort you have to put in, the yeah. time that you have to put in. And it's not definitely not for everybody. I'm not saying that to scare people away or something but you do need to have kind of like that um mentality as in like okay even if there's like resistance we're still going to find a solution we're still going to go move forward and yeah you definitely do have to have that kind of hardcore mentality in a sense yeah um but yeah it's it's if you really want it then you're going to find a way to to do it that's I, i guess what i wanted to you know convey
0: yeah, yeah, I like that a lot. I mean, you mentioned you mentioned B two B specifically, business yeah. to business, and you also meant software as a service as kind of a, a domain that you operate in. Yeah, why those two specifically? Like, was there just a, a hole in the market with regards to knowledge that you could fill?
1: Yes, and yes, and no. So, um, looking at my background, looking at like what I sold was more B two B. Yeah. Um. So that's where I saw like, okay, well, that's kind of like where my niche is in yeah. a sense. Um. And SaaS, because obviously I was working for technology companies, right? So I yeah. understand the SaaS world. And it's for me, it's fascinating because it's just a, a continuation of new innovation consistently, right? And to to link it to my master's degree, my master's degree was called Entrepreneurship and Innovation. So it's actually linked pretty cool yeah. um, now that I'm actually thinking about it. Um, so for me... SaaS was it because okay, technology for me is super interesting. It's always developing. We're using uh software as a service all the time. Right? Everywhere. I mean everywhere. So like in our company, we're also using a lot of SaaS solutions, right? So I know how I know just the the niche. Yeah. And then B2B was for me interesting because from a perspective of okay, I have the experience in there, but it's also from a perspective as in it. In the B2B space, there's a lot less churn okay. with regards to customers yeah. than if you do B2C. Now we do have, for example, clients that you know um, are a B2C company. Um, we were mainly focused on B2B, but we're seeing like an influx of B2C companies also coming. Yeah. Um, the B2B space is a little, I would say a little bit more stable in the sense that you don't have a lot of churn because most B2B companies have longer-term contracts than B2C companies yeah and the ticket price for those services or products are higher. So um if you look at, for example, the ticket price for B2C companies could be like five hundred, um, five hundred dollars. Yeah. Let's say on the average um revenue per unit, let's say. Okay. Um and if you look at a B2B company, it could be thousand, a thousand dollars. Yeah. Um if you look at the churn rates on those, like for B2B, it's between, I think, and it depends on obviously the niche and things like that, but for B2B it would be between, let's say two to, to eight yeah. percent and then b2c would be a little bit higher but it's because the contract values are lower for b2c most of the times and they're shorter so you can actually cancel each month while with b2b you do have like a yearly contract um consistently yeah. so for me looking at kind of like a pricing perspective and more stability i thought okay b2b is just better for me interesting so so to to me that's kind of like more stability, bigger, let's say, Um contract value yeah. sizes, uh longer lifetime uh customer value sizes um or not size of com- like lo- lifetime value. Hmm. Um and those types of aspects like really resonated with me, so.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. makes a little sense, I guess. If I if I look at it from the point of view of a technical founder or technical co-founder. Yeah. Let's take technical founder because I don't think if you're a technical finder, like you have all the skills or you, you might have all the skills, but yeah. you really have to hone them, right? When it comes to sales and marketing, yeah. you could probably build a really good product. But if I look at myself, I would never know, okay, now is the moment to sell or now is the moment to market or now I can actually get customers. I mean, from experience, I know as soon as possible, right? Yeah. But when is as soon as possible? How stable does it need to be? And when do I bring in a co-founder, right? That that can fill kind of the gaps that I have as a technical founder yeah. when it comes to sales and marketing and, and that can advise or even uh, pull the car in, in some certain aspects. Yeah. How do people find each other when it comes to filling the, the gap?
1: That's a good question. So um, I've spoken with a lot of founders and most of the founders, they find, let's say, their co-founder through networking yeah. and sometimes they go through accelerator programs to find co-founders as well or their co-founders as well. Yeah. Um, so that's also like, you know, kind of a, a, um, a route to, to do that. Um, sometimes they go actually on, even on LinkedIn and then they have like this job profile searching for, let's say they, they need to have a, a co-founder for this and this company. So there's like different ways in how they how they try to find it.
0: But mostly network.
1: Network Mm. most of the times or accelerator programs because there's some accelerator programs even in in, in the Netherlands here that um, kind of like communicate that they want you to find like a co-founder. Obviously, the obvious reasons is if you want to go and fundraise, you know, investors want to have at least two people in their companies or running the companies because it's lower risk. Yeah, it's liability and lower risk, right? So if you have one person and that person falls away, that's going to be a little bit tricky. Um, and I believe your question was also like on when to find kind of like the co-founder. Yeah. That's that's a balancing act, to be honest. I think from, from my experience, a co-founder is when you feel like, okay, you can't move forward. Okay. So let's say um, you're good. In the technical part, right? You have maybe an MVP already built out, but now how do you go to market, right? How do you start selling it? Maybe in that sense, you're like, okay, listen, like I'm not the person that can sell. I need to find somebody that can help me sell. Yeah. That way you can find, let's say, your co founder that's maybe more, has more of a sales background. And that could be like, if you can't move forward, that's always my uh, take. If you can't move forward currently with the resources that you have, Try to find the resources for yourself. So let's say, again, you're a technical co-founder, you've built like the MVP, um, but you don't know really how to sell it. Or if you've tried to sell it, it didn't go really well. If you have the capabilities and sources to find a co-founder, then I would definitely say at that point, definitely find a co-founder that can sell, for example, in this case for you.
0: Interesting. but. I, I get it from the point of view of my own network, right? Because then I know people and I know people that I can trust. Yeah. But going through an accelerator program and, and finding someone that I don't actually know requires yes. a lot of trust, right? I mean, 100%. you said we started a company with three people and three people have three different visions and it, it can clash. Yes. And you're doing it kind of on your own with yeah. regards to your own operation, yep. which makes sense because if you want to pull the car in, in a certain direction, uh, you want to make sure it's that direction, right? You have exactly. that vision as a founder or if you're a co-founder. You have to share that vision with other people. Exactly. How how do people still kind of manage to work as a team when they bring in someone else or a co-founder and build up that trust in that way to make it actually until the end?
1: <sighs> bringing in a team, yeah. That's obviously if you're like a little bit further along the line with regards to you've already sold, you know, a few yeah. or to a few customers. Um, bringing in the team, it's, you need to understand where the skills are that you need help with, right? Yeah. So let's say, let's go with that example, like you mentioned, you have, you're the technical co-founder, you found your co-founder, right? Yeah. For maybe the sales and marketing, for example, or they have skills that, that you don't possess on the other way around. Okay. Now, next step, let's sell the product, right? Yeah. Okay. How do we sell it? Are we gonna, you know, do first kind of like a networking thing? Trying to, if it's in the B2B space, most of the times what happens is um, a lot of the founders have the same background as what where they're like. Let's say the technology that they've developed developed in. Yeah. So then they go into their network and try to sell that product or solution into their network um, to first get their like first customer. So B2B space, you can have, for example, if the solution would cost on a yearly basis, um, maybe like 10k. Yeah, you just have to have a few customers to reach that 50k, you know, um, ARR, or then 100k ARR, et cetera. Et cetera. So um, in that space, once you have a few customers on board, then if you have, if you see that you have a structured way of getting new customers as in a sales process and you see that you can't handle, let's say, the leads that are coming in. I think at that moment in time or at least maybe a little bit before, that's where I believe it's best to start hiring. Um, Hiring and depending on where you are in the process, most of the time startups hire for like a product manager just to understand like more of the product and build it a little bit uh, more out. And then once that is uh, done, then there's also the sales part. So sometimes um, you would have maybe the VP of sales, depending on which stage you are at, right? So um, most of the startups that we work with are early stage B2B, right? Um, And when you want to build out a team, you still need to go through those steps of understanding, okay, we have an MVP, cool. We are we selling the are we selling the MVP? Cool. Are we getting feedback to basically understand how can we improve on it? The early adopters, right? And then the next step is okay. If we're selling it and we're seeing that there's an increase in sales consistently. Yeah. Let's try to hire maybe a VP of sales or a sales team, depending on how far you are in the process. And that's where, obviously, the fundraising side comes in as well, because most of the startups, when they have an MVP, they have some revenue they want to raise for at least pre-seed seed seed rounds. They want to raise to, obviously, or improve on the development, but also to um, hire marketing and sales to really start growing if that makes any sense.
0: So some of those terms are kind of unclear to me. What what does pre-seed and and seed round mean?
1: Yeah, so pre-seed and seed round, um, that's basically a seed round, if that makes any sense. And that's most of the time an investment for, let's say, early stage uh, uh, startup companies to or build further their MVP or to kind of hire marketing and sales. So it's kind of like a round to get you to the next step. So most of the times um, early stage startup companies, they have an, an MVP. They have kind of like a, a product that they've already developed. Yeah. But now they need some money to, you know, further kind of like sell the product. Yeah. And in that stage, they need resources, human capital, right? People yeah. that are going to sell that uh, for them. And that's where they can, you know, build or get um, pre-seed funding or seed funding, whatever you want to, Uh, call it from investors mostly it's family and friends angels uh, and things like that when it comes to let's say venture capitalists that's probably once you get to a series a round b round etc that's where it starts with uh, with the investment rounds
0: yeah and and series a and b what what are those specifically also when it comes to fundraising
1: yeah so uh, the rounds are basically to show what the progress is within your startup yeah um you start with a pre-seed round, maybe family and friends, you know, um, giving you money basically to further invest and further develop in your in your product. And then you have a, a seed round which is maybe to kind of further kind of develop the product, get maybe some people on board, developers, um, salespeople, people, et cetera. And then you have a series A round that's basically once you really want to scale with sales and marketing really want to get traction with your product and uh, s- solution in this case. And that's kind of like it's just a, a round, but it's basically the amount of money. That's okay. kind of like the difference within, let's say, the pre-seed seed and Series A. Although sometimes in the pre-seed, it could be between 500k and maybe um, 1.5 million, 2 million. Series A could be from 1 to 5 million, for example. So it's kind of like a division in the amount of money. Yeah. Although that's not like the hard core definition, but you could see it in that way. Like how... Which round are you in to be invested in, if, if that makes any sense? Pre-seed, most of the time, more development for the product. Seed, development and hiring a few people to kind of like improve on the product and get like your first, let's say, customers. And then series A is really to kind of scale sales and marketing, if that makes any sense. Just to yeah. keep it a little bit simple.
0: Yeah, they're, they're different brackets. And I'm assuming that if you just started, you have an MVP. You're not looking to have 5 million To blow it up right you're gonna do that gradually as well exactly exactly
1: although some 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 founders do (laughs) (laughs) do think that they're gonna get like uh five million from you know uh from the start but uh no it's it's mostly like a smaller uh smaller that makes a lot of sense
0: yeah Yeah. I, i have two things but let's let's start with the initial product still because yeah from the point of view of a technical co-founder, I've seen a lot of startups, or at least within my network, that just keep building this product, right? Yeah. Keep building this product, especially in the B2B market because they think it needs to be established before a business can actually adopt it. Yeah. And they just keep building and they never actually start selling or marketing what they have. Yeah. Have you seen that as well in kind of your inner circles?
1: Yeah, 100%. Like, mm, I would say like around 80 to 90% of the founders that we speak with, they always say like, hey... You know, we've developed a product. It's amazing. Yeah, it's going to take over the world. Um, we're perfecting it, and then when it's perfect, then we want to go to market, right? Yeah. Um, I hate to burst their bubble, <laughs> of course, um, but just to be very like frank and honest to them, it's like, listen, you do have a good product if it's a good product, of course, yeah. um, you need to start selling it as soon as possible. It doesn't need to ha- be perfect, right? It doesn't need to be perfect. Like, for example, uh, Stefan Smulders, he's the the founder of uh, Expandi. It's yep. like a LinkedIn automation tool. And he mentioned in his uh, keynote that they started with just a few, let's say, customers, like early adopters, but the solution was very buggy. That's what he said. The solution was very buggy. Okay. Um, I had a lot of bugs um, but the thing that that made them different from, let's say, all these other LinkedIn automation tools is that they focused on safety. Mm. Because if you're using LinkedIn automation tools, you can get banned, right? Yeah. And that's what a lot of people don't want. Because some people want to obviously connect with other people on LinkedIn and then sell their solution, right? So it's basically a, a lead generation tool. Um, so he understood that, listen, it's not perfect, we're gonna focus on the safety, that's kind of like a good marketing you know, um, yep. thing to do. And he got early adopters, and those early adopters gave him feedback, gave him feedback, and they consistently improved, 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 and then they bootstrapped their whole um, company to I don't know how, mu- how, much, how many millions it was within like uh, a few years. Yeah. So the thing is, when you have a solution, and it's, you know, it's not perfect, just go to market as quick as you can. Get, let's say, your early adopters. Get feedback. Improve consistently on it. Make sure that you know the adoption of your solution to, let's say, your users is also very easy because if those users don't adopt it, then obviously you're going to have a lot of churn. And yeah. obviously if you have a lot of churn, you know what the, the next steps are going to be. So if you have an MVP, go to market as quick as possible. Test it out. Get user feedback get it sold and then improve consistently from there
0: yeah why why do you think that is because if i'm looking at a physical product right if i'm if i make a puzzle and the puzzle doesn't actually work it has bugs yeah then people are going to be like never buy this product never again yeah but because it's software you can kind of update it on the fly yeah do you think that's very unique in this market specifically when it comes to software that you can go to market with kind of bugs in there and that you can fix them as, as, soon, as soon as you have the feedback, I guess?
1: Yeah, I do think so, to mm. be honest, because it's... If you get feedback as soon as possible, you can fix it in, let's say, maybe an hour, right? Yeah. And then you can, again, go to that same customer and say, like, hey, listen, we fixed the bug. This is how it's, you know, yeah. you can use it now. What do you think about it? So, yeah, I do think it's it's unique to to the SaaS world spe- uh, specifically. Um, and I think it's pretty cool as well because at the end of the day, if you're like, if you're a founder and you're honest about like your, your tool yeah, and you do know that there's some bugs and, and people know this when it's a new tool, there's always going to be some bugs. But if you have a good story around like who you are, what you're trying to achieve, right? What's your mission? What's your vision? People are going to be like, listen, this is pretty cool. Like I would like to buy your product. Uh, understood understanding that it's buggy so probably you're going to have a lower price then if it's like perfect yeah. right fair is fair. um exactly you have to be a reasonable uh, person i think i yeah. think um and then getting feedback from them and then you're going to create a bond with your customers as well right mm-hmm. because if you if you increase or not increase if you consistently um improve on your tools yeah. and you're giving feedback and that feedback has been implemented and you're letting your customers use it again, and then they're seeing consistent, let's say, growth and consistent improvement, they're going to feel like, hey, listen, this is pretty cool. Like, I have a bond with, let's say, I have a bond with you, Patrick, because you have a, a, a tool and you're consistently improving on it and you're listening to us yeah. as consumers or as customers, and we're seeing that it's consistently growing. So definitely we want to be part of your family, if that makes any sense. You know what I
0: mean? Yeah, so. yeah people feel heard, right? And yeah. I like that it's trending towards, okay, we do, we're don't. we not just looking at products and that's it. We also look at the people behind it, the story behind it, exactly. the openness and transparency, and we want to feel heard as consumers, right? Exactly. doesn't matter if it's B2B or B2C. What I'm thinking is, from a B2B point of view, do people adopt software even though it's buggy as well? Or do they wait until it's a bit more established? Because if I have a business, that's yeah. a, hypothetically, yeah. hopefully in the future, but um, I would hopefully only... From my point of view, it makes sense to adopt software when it's a bit established, when other companies are using it, when I know it works because other people see that it works. Yeah. But to get actually to a phase where people are using it and seeing that others are using it and, and seeing that it works, you have to be able to get your first customers. Yeah. What's the biggest hurdle in kind of getting your first customers when you have software that's an MVP, but that still you acknowledge that has some bugs?
1: Yeah, to be honest, like um, with the B2B side it is I would say if you're at like 70% or 70 to 80% of your tool or solution being like perfect that's that's fine yeah I wouldn't personally go and that's also what I'm seeing with the founders I personally wouldn't go with like a 40 50% let's say oh it's almost kind of like you know perfect 50% I wouldn't do that when you're like 70 80% of the tool obviously there's 20% that could be you know maybe yep. a little bit buggy that's where i would go to market with that okay um that but that's my personal opinion seeing looking at like say the founders that we've worked with and then also looking at you know um people in the industry
0: yeah um and that 50 you could do that in the b2c market more easily would you say then
1: i do think so because the thing is oh, it's a little bit tricky right it is. so so if you're in the b2c market if you're authentic you have a good story you have a mission and vision that people are, you know, resonating with. Mm. I think if you have a tool that's like fifty percent, um, let's say, perfect, and yeah. um, but there's still some bugs. I still, I think you can still, you know, mm, I think you can still move forward because okay. I believe that if you're kind of like in that, let's say, family kind of like um, group, you're still gonna have. Uh, people saying like, "Okay, no worries. I'm gonna help you." <coughs> Sorry. No worries. I had something like really. <laughs> I still, I'm still gonna help you um, reach the goals that you have in mind. Yeah. And then um, it's fine At le- as long as you give me feedback. Um, I'm, I'm, I'll help you f- uh, move forward. That's the thing. what I, I do think that would be to see it's a little bit different because it's again, it's still consumers. Um, You're not maybe dealing with like companies because obviously companies are in a different kind of uh, level. Um, But yeah, you want to just create that that experience of like, okay, listen, there's still some bugs, but give us feedback. We're going to improve on this. We're going to, you know, make sure that you have this as well in place, a good customer, you know, service as well. So I think it's just a little bit different in that sense. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I'm assuming that if you fail to kind of incorporate the feedback and, and take care of your users and their needs once you have a product, right, if you just ignore the feedback side and are like, okay, I'm working on this last 30% instead, yeah, then people are going to be like, oh, okay, this guy doesn't listen to us or this girl doesn't listen to us. Exactly. like They're just going to lose you or you're going to lose them basically. Exactly. Is that one of the common pitfalls that you see when, when businesses actually don't make it as well?
1: It's that because obviously the churn is you know higher. Um, it's also... It's also understanding if your solution has product market fit, right? Mm. So product market fit, meaning do your consumers or let's say customers or clients really want to buy this solution? Is it really like a pain point in the market? Yeah. Because a lot of technical founders, what they do is they, they develop a solution that they think is, you know, useful in the market. Yeah. Um... Again, falling in love with your own idea, right? Which is fine. Um, but you also need to have external feedback. S- yeah. Meaning, okay, you have built a solution. Is this really a need in the market? And then getting, let's say, customer feedback. And if there is customer feedback and there are, um, there's a match between your solution and what people want and people are willing to pay for it, that's where you got product market fit in the sense of it needs to be a consistent flow of people really wanting to pay for your um, for your solution, right? Yeah. Um, so product market fit, if there's no product mar- market fit, that's one of the, the things where, you know, um, a company can basically go down. Yeah. Um, churn is also one of the things. So obviously if, let's say you're you don't have uh, a good solution and you're not consistently you know listening or listening to the feedback implementing it maybe your customer service or at least like people that are helping you to get customer feedback maybe they're very slow or you know you're really not like really quick on on the money or quick on the ball yeah that's where also you could lose a lot of uh, customers and then you've invested so much money in your solution right yeah um without really getting something out of it if that makes any sense so those are the 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 primary two things that i do feel that um where yeah approximately like 80 90 percent of uh, startups feel and that's what they say in the first five years right so it's uh it's challenging
0: Yeah, that's a harsh one, especially Mm -hmm. like if I look at a, I'm a guy that creates software, right, falling in love with your own ideas or your own products, I guess, that can be a harsh one. Have you ever had to have that conversation? Like, I'm guessing you're the objective party in this part. You can just be like, listen, consumers don't want this or, or businesses don't actually see this problem that you've solved which means they're not going to adopt your product, right? Which means yeah. you either need to pivot or you need to at least let go of this. Exactly. Exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah I've had those conversations. The thing is with founders, it's you most of the times have to show them, right? So yeah. I can have, I'm, I'm not going to put like my biased opinion in that. I first um, look at what the data is saying. Okay. So if we have a solution, if a founder comes to me and uh, and asks me, hey, Denise, we want to market uh, the solution, I can have like my biased opinion which I'm not obviously going to um to tell. Yeah. Um not at that moment because I first want to see how the market is, you know, adopting to the solution, right? Yeah. If we're seeing and depending on how you market the solution as well. If we're seeing that Over the over the course of a few months, we're not really getting some good traction. Then we need to go back to the data and see, like, okay, listen, how many people have like signed up? Depending on if it's a um, a B2B or B2C, how many clients have signed up? Um, How are they using it? Uh, How long are they using it? Mostly in the B2B market, what we're seeing is it's pretty pretty straightforward. Like they have a year contract, yearly contract. It's the solution. Most of the time, the solution is already. Basically built, and they do see kind of like that there is a uh, a gap in the market. But when it comes to B two C, that's always kind of like a little bit of a, a tricky, tricky one. Yeah. Um. So what we're trying to do then is basically show the founders like the data, right? Because yeah. we can say like, Hey, listen, um, Patrick, I don't think like your your solution is going to work in the market.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's one it's, opinion. It's yeah. one
1: opinion, right? And it's and it's not something that they want to hear, mm. right? So. How do we basically show with data if it's working or not? We we go and look at okay we've done these campaigns for example Uh, how has it been going Um, how many people have you know um, uh, subscribed or or how many people uh, or many customers have you uh, gotten within this period of time and that's where you can show like listen maybe we need to or pivot to. You know, show the marketing campaigns in a different way, as in like show the angle of what your solution can do in a different way. Yeah, maybe we need to look at what the who the customer profile is. Maybe we need to change that. So there's many different factors um, in there. But at the end of the day, if you've tested it out, let's say for I'm giving an example for a year or whatsoever, yeah, and you're see and you're st- uh, still seeing that there's not real traction, that's where you know you can show. Hey, listen, we've done all of these things. It's not really working out, yeah, um, maybe it could be the solution, maybe it's kind of something that's a nice to have instead of a must have so for example, when I used to work at Oracle um, ov- obviously Oracle has different types of solutions, right yeah. so um one of the solutions I'm not going to name any names um but one of the solutions was a nice to have and uh the other solution was a must have right yeah. the must have solution always sold. A lot more than the nice to have solution, yeah. right? Because it's a problem in the market. It's you have a solution. This is the problem. This is how you can solve it with yeah. us. The nice to have solution is optional. So it's optional, so yeah. it's it's difficult. It's more difficult to sell, right? Um, so that's the same thing with product market fit. Finding that with a solution that you develop, understanding is there like a real need? Is there like a real problem? And are you the one that can solve it?
0: Yeah, interesting. Because there's a lot that goes into there and I, I kind of underestimated it initially because if you talk about a product and you want to be objective about this product, right? Yeah. The way you sell it to people, let's say the product is the gift, right? Your gift wrapping and everything around it is your marketing basically. And yeah. then who you're giving it to are your, your consumers or your clients. Yeah. So you can either pivot on, okay, who are we actually targeting, right? Who are we giving this gift to? Exactly. And then we can look at the gift wrapping and everything around it, right? Everything... The picture needs to be picture perfect. Exactly. And once you've solidified that, then if you have the right person, they unwrap this gift and it's still not what they want. Yeah. Then we have to we have to pivot basically exactly. because then the essence of what you're selling uh, is not right, or it's not a problem, or it's not a problem yet. That could also be the case. Yeah. But at least it's clear then that you have to uh, you have a problem on your own hands. Yeah. Either have to pivot. Yeah. Uh, or you can very stubbornly say no, no, no. We're going to keep doing this. Uh, but usually that's when it then burns to the ground. I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. and again, like I can understand, like if you're a founder, you're super passionate about the solution. You have to be. You have to be right. That's that's like your selling point, if that makes any sense. Um, But I also think it's important to be kind of, I would say, balanced in a sense to not be super in love with your, let's say, own baby. In in, (laughs) let me say like (laughs) that. That's the right word, though. With your own baby, right? And but just also understand that. Maybe you do need you know external feedback to really see if this is really something that can work, yeah, right um
0: someone with no skin in the game
1: with no skin in the game and which could be in your i c p right in your customer profile in your like um avatar like the 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 person that you're you're targeting, if that makes any sense, your target yeah. audience um so yeah i that's what I would like suggest to founders, especially technical founders is. Be in love with your baby, that's that's fine. But also have this balance in understanding that maybe your baby is not kind of like um a must have in the market. Yeah. Maybe it's a nice to have, but first get data to really show if that's you know, if it's a really must have or a nice to have and if you can really, you know, sell it and things like that. So
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, there's gonna be a lot of sunken cost within that baby, right? Yeah. But the fact that you already got this far right you already created a product and you you figured out you were solving a problem and it, it turned out you were not solving the right problem yeah either you're going to take your learnings with you and you're going to create new babies i exactly. guess if we're sticking with the same uh, same metaphor there but it does allow you to grow from there right it's yeah. not a failure necessarily because exactly. you can pivot you can move on you can do something else you can get just as far and if that is then a hit then you move on to the scaling part and see how this thing can grow.
1: Exactly, now, exactly.
0: When people do find the right mar- product market fit and they want to scale their organization, right? If it's hiring co-founders, if it's hiring a team, or if mm-hmm. it's actually selling and marketing their product as as big as they can blow it up, uh, what are then the the things that you've seen that make it succeed and the pitfalls there that make it fail in and of the end as well?
1: Yeah, so uh, once you have a, Good solution, people are you know excited or le- at least they're they're buying the solution right yeah once you're seeing that let's say you have a small team and you can't handle let's say the leads that are coming in to really close them, I think the next phase is to you know scale up with a team so most of the times um uh startups then want to hire sales and marketing yeah. most of the time sales because they they believe that okay they have leads they now need to close them now. Uh, some startups they only have the sales part, and they don't really have the marketing part, or they hire the marketing afterwards. I think that the marketing is very important because if you do right marketing, it's going to be easier for your sales team to close those deals because you've already kind of warmed the the the, the leads up. Yeah, you and set them up for success. Exactly, yeah. and then and then just the the salespeople needs to close them most of the times when you hire salespeople, they need to do the marketing as well. Yeah. So you have obviously your BDRs and then you have your AEs. Like I was an AE, for example.
0: What does that mean, AE? Uh,
1: uh, account executive. That, ah. that basically means like you are the one that closes the deals. The BDR, like the business development rep, that's uh, the person that you know creates the lead. So they would do cold calling or cold uh, outreach on email and whatsoever, basically to set up the meeting and then go through, let's say, the first uh, conversation with the with the prospect. And if that prospect is warm and, and you know, considering maybe potentially wanting to have a solution like what you're selling, then it would come to the next step, which was me, yeah. the AE, that would go through, let's say, the demos and, and the things like that uh, to close the deals. Now, the demos could be done by uh, a technical person as well. And sometimes you can do the demos yourself, depending on what type of solution you have and what type of company you're working at. Yeah. Um, so to answer your question, so most of the times they scale with a sales team, Mm -hmm. sometimes they would have marketing in place as well, but then after the sales team, I think you need to have some type of marketing done before you really, um, hire a sales team. Because again, if you do the marketing, well, um, prospects are more warm to come onto the calls and then you can close them better. Um, and obviously, you're going to have like the VP of sales. Um, you're probably going to have a VP of um, uh, solution engineers. So, solution engineers are, depending on how tech, tech, techie your solution is, yeah. you have solution engineers that are going to do the demos. So, the demos are going to be more um, focused on the tec- technical uh, aspect. And then, for example, the AEs, the salespeople would just... Do the storytelling around like what you know the solution can do, uh, understand how to sell it, and that's basically how you work together with your solutions engineer and yeah, and myself as an AE. Yeah. Um. So, those are like the first, let's say, people that you would hire. Mm. So VP of Sales, um, uh, VP May of, so- of Solution Engineering, um, Marketing. I think most of now more startups are trying to hire like more uh in the marketing because they're seeing that. Sales and marketing are working together Yeah. Uh, before like startups would think like, oh, yeah, but we only need sales and we don't need marketing. You just need to have them both and they need to be both working together. It shouldn't be siloed. Exactly. Personally, And I've seen that uh, quite in a lot of companies that it's quite siloed. So marketing is doing their thing. Sales is doing their thing instead of like really working together. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, those are kind of like the first people that... Uh, I've seen that are are hired.
0: Interesting. Can you can you also scale too fast in a way?
1: Yeah, you can also scale too fast. Um, most of the <laughs> um, most of the company. I I I wanted to name certain names, but I'm <laughs> I'm not. Um, but I've seen companies that uh, most of the times they hire a lot of salespeople in the beginning. Yeah. Obviously, because if they got let's say funded. Um, uh, VC funded, for example, they've gotten so many millions. They can obviously hire like sales teams and things like that. Um, sometimes you can scale too fast in the sense of you've hired uh, a lot of of salespeople, and maybe maybe it's not scaling too fast. Maybe it's more of like you've hired a lot of salespeople, but you're seeing that the the progression that you're making with regards to selling the solution is not up to par with what you predicted. Uh-huh. So then you have like a whole lot of salespeople and that happens a lot in startups. Um, a lot of startups that they've hired a lot of salespeople but the prog- the, the projection of like, you know, getting to the sales um, matri- metrics yeah. is not there. So then what happens is you're gonna want to lay off a lot of salespeople. That's what happened with, I'm not gonna name the name, but it's uh, uh, an online supermarket, Okay. Right? So hiring a lot of people in there because they, they believe in the, in the vision, they have, you know, they got funded, um, now they can hire so many people, but then they hired a lot of people and then, again, the projections are not there where they want it to be, so then you, they have to scale down. yeah And that's what a lot of uh, startups deal with as well after like their Series A, their Series B, and things like that. So, Interesting. yeah uh,
0: I like that you mentioned that the reason why you should scale up is when you can't handle the load anymore, right? Yeah. If you're selling things and you're seeing, okay, we actually have a lot of customers or a lot of potential customers, but we only have one person and they can't do outreach to exactly. this amount of customers, then it makes sense to add another person. Yeah. But adding people, just because you think adding a person is going to add a hundred of customers, that's not how it works, right? That's not how it works in the real world. If there's not actually a hundred customers or if there's only a multitude of customers, then adding people is not going to speed up the thing.
1: Exactly. And that's... Uh- for me, I mean, logically speaking and logically thinking about it, I if you would hire, then hire just right before you think that it's going to really kind of blow up, which is difficult to assess, right? Still a hard it's thing. It's still a hard thing, but if you're really seeing that that one salesperson can't handle it anymore, like you mentioned, definitely you know start hiring and it's consistent, uh, consistently hiring. I know that like a lot of founders want to consistently hire or at least have um, people in their network that they can hire whenever they need the the person yeah. in charge, um, which is fine, but I don't believe in hiring just to hire because you think you're gonna be at a certain let's say ARR range, um, annual recurring revenue range, and you need these these amount of people to you know get to that revenue. There's so many factors that can you know, uh, it, it, there's so many factors which is going to be hard for founders to understand to really close deals because. First, if you're gonna hire a salesperson, do they have the experience? Yeah. Like how how many years of experience have they had in closing deals, right? Can they what's the 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 learning progression for them, right? What's the ramp up period for them within sales, specifically B2B? It's kind of like six months okay. as an AE to really ramp up. Sometimes it could be shorter. Yeah. The shorter the better, because that, that means that you can um, basically understand the solution and you can sell it, right? If it's a very technical solution, maybe it's going to take a little bit longer. They usually say six to nine months. Okay. Um, but again, in my my experience, less than six months, you can definitely um, make it worth to really sell B2B, if yeah. that makes sense, if it's not too, too technical. Um, so there's a lot of aspects when hiring as well. Like, what's the you know type of salesperson are you're you going to hire? What has their experience be? Uh, has their experience uh, been before? Like, have they sold similar type of technologies before, or have they sold something different? Yeah. And. Um, how have they sold it? Have they gotten inbound leads, or are they really the one that goes out into you know the field and really gets you know new opportunities? And there's so many factors to take into account when it comes to hiring a sales team as well. So, yeah,
0: it's a difficult thing. It's yeah, a difficult thing, sure.
1: and there's a lot of moving parts, and it's a lot of, a lot of hats to wear as well. And of course, like you don't have to wear all the hats when you have you know people in the team. But I do think that you need to take into account that even the people that you hire, they don't know everything, right? Yeah. So maybe there's still some gaps there that, you know, yeah. you can maybe help to fill. If that exactly.
0: Makes sense. I, I like to have, right, not in-depth knowledge of a lot of things, but enough knowledge to challenge people that are responsible for those things, Correct. right? Correct. Whether it's your VP of sales and we're hiring something new or someone new. Uh, and they do a lot of sales but marketing has already set them up or they actually go out to customers and get them that way. Uh, that can be a big difference. Yeah. And challenging those decisions on, on whether and hiring this person versus that person is the right deal. I'd like to be able to be the person that challenges the people that are actually responsible for doing so. Yeah. But you need to have enough background knowledge to actually make sense and be able to challenge in a right. way as well. Yeah. yeah. When 100%. it comes to when it comes to funding, so mm. this is gonna be funny because my only funding uh, uh knowledge I've gained through Shark Tank, where people come in and they pitch and they do whatever. Yeah, Uh, is that actually how it works in the real world as well? Like, is your pitch to a customer kind of the same how it is to the people that you want funding from, or how much does it differ?
1: Um, It's different because um, when it comes to investors, they want to see they want to get their return on investment back, right? So, if it's ten x or twenty x after like five to ten years, they really want to see if you, for example, when it comes to a solution that you're selling. And what type of market are you selling? What's your total addressable market, your TAM, right? Yeah. Uh, in the the investor world, they look at TAM, SAM, total addressable market, serviceable addressable market, and the and the um, serviceable attainable market. Mm. And all of these three aspects need to be in line with you know the the how huge is the market? Like how huge is the the market opportunity? If that makes any sense, right? Yeah. And Depending it. If you're in like a pre-seed or a seed or a series A, that's kind of like my forte. I I'm not about the series B and and things like that. Um, but if you want to sell to an investor, you need to sell obviously the opportunity. Yeah. Um, you need to sell it's kind of selling the dream, but obviously with your feet on the ground, right? It's not kind of like blowing it Wishy-washy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Be realistic, but do sell the dream and do see like, do sell like what the opportunity would be for them Mm. um, with regards to how are they going to get, you know, their, their, uh, investment 10 X, 20 X back after X amount of years. Right. Um, and it's really understanding if you have a good team, right. They all like a lot of investors, actually almost all investors look at the team. Like, um, what experience do you have in a team? who are the people that are in your team? Have they done other let's say have they already started other startups successfully and maybe exited successfully yeah. um, those types of let's say founders are the ones that are easier to you know invest in because they have a track record if you don't have a track record, then obviously it's going to be a little bit more um yeah challenging yeah but you can still you know get investment so um when it comes to that the team is important what's you know the 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 i would say the construct of the team who's in the team um what's their background have they done anything similar to to what they're you know uh doing now um how big is the opportunity like uh, in in if it's a worldwide let's say solution or a solution that's obviously SaaS that could could be um worldwide how big is the tam sum? um those are like the two the two parts um, that are really important for for investors to to understand. And yep. obviously, they're going to do their due diligence, right? Like how many customers? Obviously, traction is one of the things as well. So traction meaning, okay, how many customers do you have on board, uh, or our clients, whatever you want to c- uh, call it? Um, how many customers do you have on board? How quick are you growing? Um, we're for example working together with a uh PE firm which is a private equity firm. Yeah. And um they are interested in in startups with obviously a technical technology uh, technology um as the center of their, their company. Yeah. For them it's important for to look at the team, the 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 who the team is, how many people are in the team, what their background is, et cetera. Yeah. But they also wanna see that, you know, they have um traction, which is around like 40, 50 MRR, So monthly recurring revenue. Yeah. Um, obviously need to be based in Europe in this case, uh, because we have firms in the US that obviously are focused on the US. Um and for them it's also interesting or interesting, it's important to see like how quick are they growing and how are they with their finances? Like are they a company that's really spending just for spending sake, because yeah. you do have startups and I've I've seen quite a few of them that are spending the obviously the the money that they got from your investment in things that are maybe not necessary. Okay. So how clean are you with your finances, if that makes any sense? And that's yep. one of the things that, you know, they look at as well. Like how are you spending it? Are you very like diligent with your finances? Yeah or are you spending it on, I don't know, random stuff that's that are not necessary. Obviously it's on a case to case basis, but those are kind of like the prerequisites for them to
0: want to invest what's an what's an example of that of people spending things which they shouldn't spend money on because i I don't really have an idea with that
1: yeah so uh some startups um what they would spend it on is for example um once you get funding depending on where you are but let's say it's a seed or a series a um, most of that money is to you know hire people etc etc Um, maybe have an office, things like that. But sometimes you do have startups that start spending on oh, let's go on a, a. I wouldn't say like a holiday, but it would be kind of like a a, a retreat for let's say all the employees, which is fine. Yeah, which is fine. Um, but is it really necessary? Right? Is that necessary? Or you have maybe um, you go out. Uh, to dinner with let's say all of your employees is that really necessary maybe once in a quarter that could be but it's kind of spending on things that are maybe not completely necessary at that moment in time Um, and those are the types of things that you know you could spend your money on instead of spending it on okay we need to hire people we need to you know develop the, the, the technology more um, we need to maybe have customer um, customer service representatives, uh, customer service people on board as well, yeah. uh, or customer success, for example. Like like really spending it on the necessary things instead of spending it on okay, we're gonna you know do a, a retreat there or we're gonna like have dinner there or things like that. If that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, it needs to be it needs to be justifiable, I guess. Yeah. Right. Your dinner can be for team bonding, but if it's every week. Then it's kind of uh exactly. Kind of flattering.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: Uh, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I get it now from an investment point of view. They want to see how they get their money back, right? Yeah. And how you spend your money from a business side, right? You can have huge amounts of revenue but if you spend a lot on marketing and advertising and stuff like that, then you're burning your money and obviously your revenue is going to be bigger but your profit share that is going to be still marginal, right? You haven't increased that based on your yep. spend, basically. Yeah. And I think from an investment point of view, they're going to look at all of that and at some point, they're going to make a decision, right? And I think both the financial thing is one thing, but you and your team, I love that you laid that out. You and your team are also going to make the difference. Yeah. How important is that pitch and the story behind it, like that moment that you speak to the investors? Yeah. And then also, do the founders usually do that, the co founders, or do they leave it to someone in their team that's best at that?
1: No, the founders do that. Yeah. No, 100% right? founders. Um, the storytelling around that is very important because yeah. at the end of the day, <laughs> if you sell yourself or you sell your solution or you sell your company, there needs to be a a logical story around it, right? Like how did you start and what's kind of like your vision? So that obviously is very important and it resonates with, even if I would tell you a story, it resonates more than if I would tell you factual stuff, right? Okay, like, I don't know, 20% of something is, you know, it's kind of like you need to, to have that story around it because that's also what sells, right? So that's important to understand. And a lot of founders find it challenging to, to they, they can tell the story around it, but how do you pitch it in a sense that it's also interesting for the investor, right? That's how, that's what we teach as well. Uh, What do you need to say and how can you basically tell your story, but then also pull in like the factual numbers, what you're, you know, currently at and how do you follow up with the investors as well, right? Because it's nice to have like your first conversation, but how do you follow up? That's where a lot of founders also are like, okay, what do I do? What's Um, the next step? Yeah. What's the next step, right? Are you closing that investor in in having a a follow-up meeting maybe with the team and things like that? Again, that's what we teach as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's very important to understand what goes on in the mind of an investor. What are they looking at and what do they find important? And if you know those aspects, so like I mentioned, it's important to show some traction depending on where you are in your, in your, let's say, um, process Hmm. or where you are in your growth phase. Do you have some traction? Okay. What's the traction? Um, what's the solution? What's the Sam sum? Um, who's the team? Those are kind of like the, the most important aspects. And there's obviously more uh, more stuff around that. But those types of things. And do they see potential value in that? Do they see the value of your solution? Because you have investors that don't have the background in, let's say, if you would uh, come to me and I'm an investor, right? And yeah. you're telling me, hey, uh, Denise, I have a solution, uh, a SaaS solution that does uh a low code, there's a low code, no codes type of solution, right? And uh you come to me and you basically tell me uh the story around it, um and you show me the time sum sum, but I don't have any experience with low code, no codes. Yeah. Right? So you're coming to an investor that doesn't have that experience, that doesn't have that background. So they're not gonna completely maybe understand the I guess the problem in the market, right? So yeah. you have you have uh, founders that go to kind of like the wrong investors, I would say, like maybe that are not in their in their field. And then they're obviously not gonna, you know, get to the next step as in like maybe get um, in a meeting with like a team and seeing if they can, you know, really invest in that company because they don't see the value of that. But if I would be an investor that understands low-code because I have invested in that before, yeah, then obviously once you sell it to me, I can see like, hey, listen, is this something that I really want to go in? uh go into um do i have other companies similar to yours because sometimes investors can't invest in similar types of companies as well yeah so yeah there's a lot of factors in that if that makes any sense so but that's where we we come in and help the the founders to get to the next level so
0: yeah that's very i mean it hits home with shark tank for me because that's kind of how i've seen it where people say okay this is already in my domain i I can't invest in you like i wish you the best uh, but through that non-compete, I can't do that. Yeah. And other people that just don't resonate with either the product or the idea, or they don't see the problem you're solving. Exactly. Even though you have customers, and even though you have traction, right? Mm-hmm. If from an investor point of view, they still have their gut feeling and their own kind of vision on how the world works. Yeah. And if they don't align with that, if you haven't communicated it or told your story in a way that they believe you, uh, they can still be like, well, I, I don't see it. Like, exactly. I'm sorry, right? It's not gonna, It's not gonna be a fit. But if you do have a person that, Understands your domain, sees the problem that you see, and can see how they get their money back, right? With with an X multiplier, exactly. Then I think you have your match, exactly. and then you can move uh, move forward with that.
1: Exactly, and that's the, that's the thing having a right match with investors, because it's as a founder, you obviously want to have as many opportunities as you can with regards to getting like investors interested in your let's say solution or interested in investing that. But it's also important for you as the founder to understand what type of investor do you want to have, right? Do you want to have an investor that gives smart money? That's what they call it. So um, not only the money, but they have maybe the network that's in that same field, right? Or they have the background that's in that same field and they can really help grow the company to the next level, if that makes any sense. So not only, you know, investing the money and that's it, if that makes makes any sense.
0: It should be a win-win, right? If I I put my money in there, I have skin in the game. So the better you do, the better I... I also get a return for it.
1: Exactly, yeah. exactly.
0: Man, there's a lot that goes into it. Like I always kind of knew, but I never actually have a, have had a conversation with this. Like all the information I've had was always superficial. So I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing just, okay, how do you get your team together? How do you find that product market fit? Uh, and when it comes to investing, how do you find the right match there, right? How big is your market size and do people see a return on their money? Yep. Uh, and when you have that match, should be a win-win in that end as well. 100%. Is there anything in there that you still would like to add?
1: I would like to add that just be smart with regards to um when it comes to let's say um finding your investor or it could be uh, you have one lead as an investor and then you have different other companies that are also investing in 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 that same solution. Try to find the 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 investor that obviously resonates with you and understands your business as well. Yeah. Um but understand also before you go into that that there's a lot of things that you need to have in place to make sure that even the first meeting and then the second meeting and et cetera is done very well. So um, understand those those moving parts mm-hmm. um, and get help if you need. Like, you know, that's that's what we do. Like with regards to having a fundraise partner, that's what we help with with regards to doing, you know, going to a seed or series A understanding like what does it really take for you to get to to that next level and get get funding so
0: yeah yeah I, I think i would need help or at least i i would have to have a lot of conversations to get that understanding right yeah. to find the right help in there as well yeah but i love that you've kind of found your niche in, in helping those companies i think it's really cool
1: thank you like yeah. I, I i'm i'm super happy in doing it right so for me it's kind of like i never thought that technology would be my thing like 10 years ago i i wouldn't have thought about this yeah but yeah, it's again, like I said in the beginning, it just transitioned into it, into you, me having a company in, you know, the SaaS space, in technology. Um, so yeah, it's, it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love hearing that. <laughs> We're going to round it off here. Denise Edwards, everyone. I'm going to put all her socials in the description below. Yes. Check her out. Let her know you came from our show. Uh, and with that being said, thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next one.